your patient is not getting well in spite of your good care, you send him to the ICU because you know that's going to have the best outcome. Now, who do you think is going to deliver the best care? The critical care doctor or the doctor who's not a specialist? You could be wrong. You're listening to ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Mitchell Levy from Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island. Dr. Levy is a professor of medicine at Brown Medical School, and he's medical director of the Medical Intensive Care Unit and director of critical care services at Rhode Island Hospital in Providence. He's a fellow of the American College of Critical Care Medicine and the American College of Chest Physicians. He's done a lot of research in the ICU arena, and he's going to talk about some of that today. Today we're discussing the association between critical care management and patient mortality in the intensive care unit. We're very glad you could take the time from your busy schedule to be here, Dr. Levy. It's a pleasure, Shira. So first of all, tell us about your study. What was the background and what was the objective? Well, this study was initially conducted as part of a rationing study. We had a group, a task force called VARIC, which is Values, Ethics, and Rationing in Critical Care. And we were trying to determine the impact of various interventions on outcomes in critically ill patients. So we wanted to look at nurse-patient ratio and other things. And so we took the Project Impact database. Now, Project Impact is a large database that was originally established by the Society of Critical Care Medicine in an attempt to be able to look at resource utilization and functioning in each intensive care unit and then compare them across the United States. So we took the Project Impact database from 1996 to 2000, and there are almost, I'd say, 200 variables in the Project Impact database. Some of them are hospital level, some of them are intensive care unit level, and some of them are patient level variables like age and blood pressure, et cetera, et cetera. And we tried to look at what variables had a significant impact on outcomes. So 20 of those variables had a significant impact, and one of them was whether or not patients were managed the whole time by critical care physicians in the intensive care unit. Now, how did you determine the amount of time they were actually managed by critical care physicians? Because that seems kind of hard to track. Yeah, and that's a crucial question because obviously the critical care physician can take care of them as soon as they walk in the door of the ICU or in the middle or just at the very end when they're already dying. So we had to adjust our analysis for that. The variable in the Project Impact database, which is recorded by the nurse at each institution, and they receive training on how to record this, So the quality of the data that Project Impact receives is pretty good and standardized through a series of CD-based training sessions leading to a sort of exam for each of these data collectors at each institution. And they determine a couple of things. They determine, was the patient managed by a critical care boarded or board-eligible physician? And if so, were they managed the whole time or were they managed part of the time, or were they managed never? So those are the three-level variables. Because we cannot find out if it's some of the time, whether that some of the time was on the first day or the second day or the last day, we actually took all those patients out of the analysis. So the only patients we analyzed in this study were patients who either received critical care management 
the whole time they're in the ICU or never. And our audience is probably breathless. What did you find? What is the unexpected finding from the study? Well, I'm an intensivist by trade, so I was about to say unfortunately, <laughs> but the results of the study were really counterintuitive to both what we think and what's been shown in the literature, and that is that patients who were managed the entire time by critical care physicians while they were in the ICU actually had a higher odds ratio for mortality. And that odds ratio was independent of the level of severity and was also present across several subgroups that we looked at. For instance, patients who came in on a ventilator, patients who came in on shock, patients who had an infection, et cetera, et cetera. And so it was extremely surprising to find these results and certainly counter to what I had anticipated. Now, what's some of your theories that could possibly explain some of these results? Give us a few of them. <laughs> well, as you can imagine, there's been a tremendous amount of debate and discussion since this came out because I myself thought this was an opportunity to prove in 100,000 patients, which is the size of our sample, that we, being critical care docs, improved outcomes for these folks. Right. Advanced training, advanced practice, exactly. um, state-of-the-art care. We're going to do better if better can be done. So it really does force us to look at a couple of things. First, I think we have to look at the weaknesses of the study. We were comparing patients who were cared for in smaller community hospitals in which there was no critical care management available, none at all, with hospitals that are larger or middle-sized where only critical care management was available. So already you see very different patient populations being compared. And the way we compared it was by adjusting for severity. And we used an expanded SAPS-2 score, which is a very common method for adjusting for severity. Now, we think we did everything we could to match these patients and adjust for severity, but no severity adjustment is perfect. So it's possible that there were some what we call residual confounders that makes one patient more severe than another, but is not really picked up by a severity score. So I think it's important to start off by saying that that's a very strong, inherent weakness in all the data. Having said that, I also think science is science. So we found that mortality was higher in these folks managed by critical care physicians. So the field has to take a step back and say, why could that be? And I think there are several possible explanations. First, it's just possible that critical care dogs do more procedures over-test, over-invade, and it's possible that in some selected population of critical care patients, they actually do worse. It causes harm. And I think we have to at least put that on the table and think about it. For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking today with Dr. Mitchell Levy of Brown University. We're discussing the association between critical care management and patient mortality in the ICU unit. So go ahead, Dr. Levy. You were telling us about how you attempted to compensate or to calculate who the sicker patients and make that across the board that you were comparing apples and apples. For those of us who aren't so astute in statistics, how exactly do you take that out of the equation? Well, what you do is there are many severity scores. That is, is your patient on a mechanical ventilator? Is your patient over the age of 70? Is your patient in shock? Does your patient have low platelets? So there are ways to ascribe a score to how severe a patient is in terms of illness and then 
grouped patients according to the score. And so that even though they might be in a 100-bed hospital, if their score is X, you can compare the same patients with a score of X in a much, much larger hospital, a 500, 700,000-bed hospital. So you group patients according to the score of the severity of illness, and therefore you try to be able to compare them, which is what we did. And as I said, it's never perfect, and that may be one of the major flaws. On the other hand, it's possible that this signal's true, that in fact, management for at least some of the patients by critical care physicians may lead to a higher mortality. The reason that's also suggested is we built what's called a propensity score. We took the factors that make it likely that a general practitioner would ask a critical care practitioner to manage the patient, and we made a score out of it as well. And what we found is in the patients who had the lowest score, that is, the lowest number of factors that might make it likely for a generalist to ask for help from a critical care doc, in those patients with that low score, they actually had the highest mortality rate. So there was this consistency that the patients who were the least sick and the least likely to need critical care physicians, when they got them, that's where the highest mortality was. Did you look at anything in terms of billing to pick up on number of procedures done? Well, we looked at procedures and we found that critical care docs, on average, did more procedures than non-critical care docs. And that's why it's possible that in some patients who aren't that sick and are yet still in an intensive care unit, the increased number of procedures may in and of itself be responsible for a higher mortality rate. So you mean like A-line, SWAN, the type of things that a generalist may not do? Absolutely. Bronchoscopy, A-line, SWANs, invasive diagnostic procedures. You know, if you have it, often we'll use it. And so it's easier for an intensivist to just go to the bedside and put in a PA catheter or an art line than for a generalist to ask someone else to do it. So what's the implications for a guy who works around a closed unit where the staff is largely a critical care group? What would you say to that practitioner? See, the one thing we don't know, and this is where I think one of the keys are, is we don't really know the characteristics of the hospitals who performed well without an intensivist. And in this era where we know that wide variation in care may lead to bad outcomes, and many of us are now talking about protocols and order sets as a way of standardizing care and improving outcomes, it may well be that in the hospital without an intensivist, perhaps they're more comfortable using these protocols, whereas intensivists, because they trust themselves so much, feel a little more comfortable sort of going on their own and trusting their judgment. And we know that wide variations, as I said, may not be in the best interest. So to me, one of the messages for both the generalist and the intensivist is, first of all, start measuring your outcomes in your hospital. Find out if it's true in your hospital. Second, look at the kind of care that's being practiced. Is there wide variation within intensivists and within generalists for the management, for instance, of ARDS and sepsis? And if so, can you introduce protocols that might help standardized care and even out some of the outcomes? I think that's a very, very important message from this study. Yeah, and an intensivist or other practitioner listening to this may say, but, you know, I don't want these checklists of how I'm supposed to be doing things. You know, I train to think, I have experience, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with my practice, the way I practice medicine. There's going to be some resistance, I mean. Well, and we know that. You're exactly right, Shira, and that is the biggest resistance 
to protocols that I didn't get trained to do cookbook medicine, and that's fine. So then I guess we should also apply that to pilots because pilots in general are very astute, smart people. So we should throw out all their checklists and all their need to check all their instruments before they take off and just all accept that uh, the next time we get on our 747, that pilot up front is going to be flying by the seat of his or her pants. Dr. Levy, thank you for being my guest today. We've been discussing the association between critical care, physician management, and patient mortality in the ICU, what it means to you and to your patients. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. To comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, visit us at ReachMD.com. Register with the promo code RADIO and receive six months free streaming for your home or office. Thank you again for listening.